0: Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Rahul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice.
1: What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in once again. We had a great conversation with Megan Marie. She's a doctor of physical therapy who owns her own online physical therapy business. And we talked about telehealth and how to assist clients as a whole. So enjoy. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm a self-employed solo practitioner. I'm private pay at this point in San Francisco. Um, so I work mostly with Californians and I am an outpatient sports PT. Um, I work with people, dual in person and digitally. Um, and I've been doing that for about a year or a year and a half now. Um, and what I kind of find interesting is working a bit more holistically with folks. So not just addressing their acute or chronic pain, but also kind of diving into their why and their injuries or their pain or, you know, why they're coming to me at the time that they are. So,
1: Did you used to work like at a physical clinic prior to building your online business?
2: Yeah, um, so before I started doing my own thing, um, I my first job out of college, which was in Boston, um, I went straight to California, got my license in California, and worked at a multidisciplinary clinic that had, I think, one or two DOs, chiropractors, massage therapists, and PTs. Um, I worked there for about a year, year and a half, and then I left it to co-found a... Uh, out-of-network PT, Cairo and massage clinic in the city as well. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half as well before um, going completely solo on my own. Nice.
0: Yeah. Being, like, so this is very interesting to me because you, you went from a physical uh, presence to an online presence, and that could be very scary for people because half of marketing for most people is showing up and talking about what you do and where, where you are. So, how did that? How's your marketing look now, and how do you get your clients on an online basis?
2: That's a really good question. Um, you know, at first it evolved, it kind of evolved because what happened was that I I had face to face patients. I call them clients, just which I can dive into in a bit. But um, and the way my mind operates is I was just talking about this with somebody is as much as I want structure with people, I'm very much, uh, there are so many factors that contribute to someone's injury and her health. Like how do I organize it a certain way? And so what I would do is I would, um, I would want to deliver this information in a way that was appropriate to them. And I was trying to find ways to deliver it that didn't take away from the actual session. And so it ended up evolving into like either Google Docs or like a coaching platform. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, I can, I can give them their program And they can execute this and I can check in with them online and then we can do a visit together in like a few weeks and just either progress their exercises or add on to them. And so it it just became a thing uh, organically.
1: So what made you do the change from the physical clinic to doing the online clinic or your online treatment? What, What was the why behind that?
2: Um, autonomy Um, both for my clients like a bit of an empowerment thing and for myself so I have this vision of how I would want my own healthcare to look and how I would want to be able to contact somebody and in going to a physical place to me it's so short of a period that Mm -hmm. I as a clinician don't feel like I can Educate them on everything and then provide them this program. And so it became out of the need for me to, the, I have this deep desire to educate people. Like, I want you to be able to understand your principles of pain, injury, and self management. And I want you to take care of yourself, but I will support you. And so that's how it, I feel like I was able to do it. I can't do that in an hour session mm-hmm. or a half hour session.
0: You you know, all these topics that people come to us with very simple questions, like, how do I do this? Or how do I get rid of this? Each of them are kind of like summarized into these massive textbooks. And we have all these textbooks that we learned throughout the years. And now we have to synthesize it into maybe two sentences before they go cross-eyed. So my question is, how do you decide when to teach and when not to teach?
2: That's a good question. Um, It's, I think that that is like a nuanced learned skill of how to teach somebody and it depends on their starting level of body awareness and receptiveness and fear around a certain activity. So um, I think it's, it's based on the conversation. If I see they're receiving everything I'm saying and they're able to repeat it back to me and they're, they're eager for more then I will spill more and I will dive more into the why of, pain science or something I, and then, you know, it kind of just evolves from there. But I try to start with the compassionate route of like, don't stress about this detail yet. It's not important, mm-hmm. but let's focus on this detail, really hone in on it. And then we're going to work on this part next. And I think that's, that's, it's all timely. Like, for example, I had, I have a client that I'm working with now and he came to me for chronic or semi, like kind of subacute chronic pain, and three weeks into our working together, he's feeling much better, and he's just organically bringing up nutrition, and so mm-hmm. that's when I start to bring it up. Like it kind of happens, and it evolves according to where they are and what they're, what you can see they can tolerate and observe and absorb.
0: What you mentioned was huge. The talk, by, the talk back test is is massive. You know, like you think you're you're hitting a home run when you're saying the speech to them, but then you ask them this can you teach it back? And they have no clue where to start. And my question is, is how often or how frequently will you say, Hey, can you just take a moment to just kind of talk back to me and see what you you've gotten from this?
2: That's a, that's not enough. I do it absolutely, but not enough. And I think that that's where a lot of us struggle because there are so many things to remember in a session Mm -hmm. that you're bound to drop something. And in, you know, that's providing our own selves with some compassion around that. But it is something that I'm trying to get better in. But to go back to telehealth or telemedicine, all these things that I have written down, they're written down. So now people also have that as something that they can see um, and refer to. So that's probably also why I'm doing it less in a verbal way and because it is written more.
0: A lot of coaches depend on like physical tactile cues and obviously we can't do that through a computer screen. Uh, do you have videos or how do you, did your verbal cues over the internet get much better? How did that adapt from physical to online?
2: Yeah. Um, again, it depends on the person. If someone is just mm-hmm. learning how to move, then I'm not going to focus on your pelvic tilts and your, you know, your perfect hinge. I just want you to move and and hit those requirements. Once Mm -hmm. we're past some of those fundamentals, then I do feel like the the cueing becomes, yeah, I mean, practice has definitely helped for delivering it. But Mm -hmm. one step at a time, and one thing I've learned with delivering cues is there's a time and a place for it. And I notice that when I give a cue and someone executes it well, I give them a new cue. And so I have to remind them and say, hey, if I'm giving you a new cue, it's because the other one I gave you, you're executing well. So it's a constant reminder of positive reinforcement, that they're doing a good job. Um, and that I'm not focused on the, the faults, but rather than let's make this, let's let's progress this really well. And so um, I think I just diverged a little bit, uh, but... But yeah, yeah, I think it's gotten better over time. Um, so
1: how would you say you find the sweet spot between over queuing and under queuing? Because we both we know that both spectrums are like wrong or no. Like under queuing someone might not be the best, but also over queuing is not actually the best. So how do you find the like this balance between over queuing and under queuing and giving mm-hmm. positive reinforcement? And I know the answer is that it depends, but what are some tips? That should be the title of the podcast. That should be the, title
0: of, the, yeah, the title of
2: everything. <laughs> it depends. Anything fitness and health, it depends. Yeah. Um, if I give a cue, I try to give context of, hey, this is when it matters, this is when it doesn't. So first, if I give a cue and I see them responding really quickly to it, I will give them the next cue. Mm -hmm. If I find that that cue is something they're struggling with or they're not, it's not registering, then that means they're so focused on something else or that first cue that that's where I start to hover and I stop or I try to adjust something or distract them if I find them struggling. So there's a lot of discussion about not over cueing. And I do believe that not over cueing is important, but it's also, it's observing the person you're with and, Mm -hmm. and just seeing when it's important to to, to adjust them, to progress them organically and, uh, overforcing something.
1: What does your online screening process look like if you have one? Let's say when someone comes to you either for nutrition advice or for -hmm. chronic pain, what, what does that relationship look like when it starts?
2: I mean, right now with everything that's going on with COVID 2020, um, everyone has to be a digital patient. So I try to deliver or at least send out a pretty um, robust intake form that involves, you know, identifying the type of pain, the intensity of pain, the the, the track record of pain. Um, but then I also try to go into other things. It's not just so focused on pain. And what that does is it gives me a bit of a framework of who this person is, how they're perceiving it, and then that, gives me a lot of time to, um, that's their pre-screen. And then when I actually talk to them in person or on video, most of our eval is, it's going to be speaking, discussing history, getting to know the person, trying to find their why. That's a harder one. Um, And so I think for the most part, you can work with anyone online if you can get, you know, that fundamental information and just see what their starting point is, see where their pain points might be. And then a lot of that first few weeks or month of my programming for them is, like, I, I will write down and say, don't stress so much about the perfection of this. I'm trying to get a baseline bit of information fruit from you, and, and we're going to evolve from there. So um, screening just ends up being about that person and, and seeing where we're starting from.
0: Yeah. The, the big thing that you mentioned there is finding their why and it, it can be very hard because you know when we talk to these people on the podcast like yeah find their why they're going to say oh i want to pick up my kids it's not ever like it's not usually that straightforward and how i know it's it's going to be through practice and experience but what are some subtle things or some techniques that you use to discover the why um
2: a bit of a kind of reiterating or asking the question in a way that they have to sift through it themselves so if, mm-hmm. you know if they're coming it's kind of like the the five steps of asking why it's like well why is that important to you and then they give you the, the example or the explanation then you say well why is that important to you it's just basically like let's keep breaking it down and, and enforce a bit of critical thinking mm-hmm. sometimes i can figure it out you know um you know, there's a bit of fear typically or a lack of control that's happening. And so I always try to reassure that component, but I also want them to feel like they are understanding of why they're seeing me. So I think motiv- motivational interviewing in terms of a formal format is something that I could always get better at. Um, but I think it's just having the discussion with that person and, and seeing the, like, what are your circumstances now? And why are you here now?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's highly dependent on, like, that's the thing that like you say, I'm great at communicating, I'm great at motivational interviewing, but that's highly dependent on who you're talking to, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. if, if you're talking to an open book, of course you're great at it. They're going to tell you everything, you know? <laughs> um, now, earlier, you mentioned that you you frame all your your clients, you, you call them clients, correct? Yes, yes. So w- what's the purpose behind
1: that? The crying show.
2: Yeah, Ryan and I are, um, have been in contact a lot more recently, and it's so funny because um I didn't realize that that's what he did too. There is a perception around being a patient that's different than being a client in my eyes. And I want people to see their health as something that's not like an illness or a prognosis of something. Like I want you to, I want you to work with me as, as like a teammate rather than like this, this frail injured you know baby bird
1: (laughs) i i like the word using the word client instead of patient because as soon as you hear the word patient even clinicians think there's something wrong with them exactly so and it's not the best for results or outcomes as we know i think it's super smart
2: it's like a subtle way to get them to feel a bit more empowered already starting early
0: Do you also feel like when you call them clients, it's much easier to work laterally in the sense of like, we might not be directly addressing the injury that you have, but we are by getting your overall activity up or we're improving your stress levels. Do you feel like it's easier because now you call them a client versus a patient?
2: Yes and no. I guess I'm not sure because I just did that organically like a, a year and a half ago. And That was also when i started working for myself so if that had changed um you know if i had changed that verbiage you know in the middle of working for myself and maybe but i do feel like what i'm trying to do is also just change the perception of what physical therapy could look like for somebody I think it's still really highly seen as I'm injured and I'm going to go see somebody Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to fix me. And I do want to change that in general from the like the professional side of things, but then the client side of things. And um, what that means is providing them with a, an experience that is, self-empowering and I am your coach along the way so I just don't see the word patient mm-hmm. as something that enables that thought process mm-hmm.
0: now this is from like a personal it's a personal question that just popped in my head uh with COVID-19 uh after, I guess COVID-2020 now because you know, <laughs> <but laughs> um, my question would be is like you know we're, we're doing online classes right now and uh maybe it's just my environment's not set up the way it should be but how do you stay motivated from working at home? Cause I, don't, I just feel like I'd have no motivation.
2: Ooh, uh, working or working out,
0: working at home.
2: Mm. Um, I am actually struggling with working a bit too much at home. Okay. And the reason is I think I'm seeing that as like, this is the only thing I can control right now. And it's okay. If I don't have a bunch of clients, then what can I work on? And I'm reading probably like three different books and have two different audiobooks. So I'm overdoing it that my I am not actually taking enough downtime to be with my family and to connect with my friends enough. So I see it as I think we all have different approaches to how we manage with certain situations. And for me it's been do what you can to control um don't shut down or but also I'm I have to be self motivated in a way because I have to have a business when covid 19 or 2020 is done with um otherwise I'm going to have to figure out a different situation and I I don't want to sacrifice the type of work that I do I don't want to work in a clinic again um so it's just my why I suppose mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, how do you envision your business? That saying five years, what's the end goal here?
2: Um, that's a great question. I, I do want to see myself more as a lifestyle um, influencer, um, without the negative connotation of an influencer. Uh, <laughs> I would say more of a advocate. How about that? Um, where I really want to use a platform to educate people. Um, I do enjoy the one-on-one. It'll never stop for me. I Mm -hmm. think it's important to work with people, but I also have a bigger vision where I really do want to to educate. And so being on a podcast is actually one of the things that I said that I wanted to do. So thank you guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I see, you know, five years from now, almost having a bit of that advocate brand of, you know, helping clinicians be more than just the fix-its and be, Um, an empowering kind of uh, voice for, you know, those clinicians, but also honestly women in my field. Like I'm, I'm very pro women in that respect. I think there's a lot of goodness in uh, the industry, especially strength and conditioning, but there's, there's less of a loud voice in, in the women's uh, realm. So yeah.
0: Definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. (laughs) Now when it comes to, like, like just back to the back to mentioning clients and stuff like that, and it kind of just makes me think about Levinson and addressing upstream versus downstream, and we talk about lifestyle changes and stuff like that. It's it's so easy to, to say, yeah, we're going to address this, but it's very hard to force an adaptation or a habit um, when it comes to talking to our clients. And I, I'm just curious from your point of view because you're across a screen versus face to face. Do you feel like it's easier for your clients to lie to you and say, Oh yeah, I'm totally doing it.
2: Ah, good question. Um, I almost have this expectation, not outwardly, that people are going to struggle with some of the things that I suggest. Mm -hmm. So I put this low, uh, bar on it in a way where i'll say like hey i'm aiming for this Mm -hmm. but let's let's not put pressure on it let's find what works and what doesn't and just let me know what doesn't work so what it does is it takes the pressure away and it gives them something to to do but not fear a my judgment or like this Mm -hmm. personal shame around i didn't do something perfectly or the way that she wanted me to so i try to eliminate the potential for lying (laughs) (laughs) um and 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 you know, deviate if I
0: have to. That's smart. You you set the bar not low, but to an obtainable mm-hmm. like, like achievable. Area. Yeah, achievable area where when they surpass it, they feel phenomenal. And right. then, yeah, then you can always you can always raise it. But when you lower it, there's some kind of connotation to that. You know.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, That's, it's like building resilience. I mean, if we're talking about you know the human condition if we put too much expectation on something, it's really hard to achieve it unless you've built that muscle to do that. Mm-hmm. And many of us who are, if we're talking about healthcare again, in general, most of us aren't doing a lot of the things that we should be doing. So mm-hmm. why don't we just start low? It's like Atomic Habits. You know, I think James Clear, right? he's talking about this 1%, do two minutes of something. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all you do. Like that's going to build a bit of self-trust that you are able to accomplish something. So I want to implement this really large idea of building consistency and habits and applying it to healthcare specifically.
1: Yeah. One, like one thing is talking about or recommending something, but I think that for example, if I went to a doctor and, mm. and he was like 300 pounds and he recommended that I do the ACSM guidelines, I would honestly not do it because all Sorry is not doing it. Mm-hmm. And like on the healthcare field, uh, mm-hmm. specifically like strength and conditioning coaches and uh, mm-hmm. PTs, doctors of physical therapy, mm-hmm. uh, I think that a lot of doctors, clinicians, and coaches recommend stuff that they don't even do. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you don't do something, you should not be recommending it.
2: Yeah, I was just having this discussion literally right before I hopped on with you guys. Um, I have this informal challenge that I'm doing on Instagram that is about um, about basically different lifestyles and lifestyle habits and how do we track these things. And I basically put a numeric value on all these little habits that contribute to better health. And I'm tracking a bunch of people and what their you know, points are And I'm finding that the other coaches and clinicians that are on this little challenge, they're struggling with the fitness (laughs) and the nutrition part. And it's such a great lesson because I struggle with it too sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a great lesson that A, we can talk about the ideal, you know, week, but it's just not realistic. So what do we do next? How do we, you know, A, manage that or B, come up with strategies to get better and also having compassion with we can't do everything perfectly all the Mm -hmm. time. It's just Mm -hmm. impossible.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's huge when it comes to setting up expectations, because even if, if we, like, fail sometimes to, of doing stuff that we should do, like, we should not expect patients to not fail or right. not be perfect, because, right. if like, it's even impossible for us to be perfect. So if we miss, they're going to miss, and we can't get mad at them.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think that you know, maybe, maybe you and I might be pretty decent at the fitness stuff, but let's be real. There are things that we're not good at that someone else is. So I think as long as we as humans and cl- clinicians take that human aspect of, okay, maybe I'm good at this, but I'm not good at this. Let me have some compassion as if, you know, like, let me apply this to them. And the, I think the world lacks a bit of compassion and, and you know, um, love towards the people yeah. that, that need that, you know, and we're supposed to be teammates to them. So there's no room to be judging people. We're supposed to help them.
0: I love the fact that you did this whole challenge and you mentioning that people aren't doing so hot where they think you, you would expect them to do so. And, and it's great that people are getting like a dose of humility because mm-hmm. like, for example, I didn't, if I prescribed something that I've never done before, I wouldn't even think to maybe lower the bar a little bit or set a better expectation. But if I did something and I failed, let's say a nutrition challenge, I'm like, look, you're going to fall off the wagon. It's okay. I fall off the wagon, you know? Right. So it's, it is a reality check that it just, it, you, like, it blew my mind when you said it. Cause it's like, it's something somewhat simple at the surface, but it goes into such a deeper level of reflection.
2: Right. You know? Right. Totally.
0: Now the question that I was thinking about, because, you know, we always talk about in this podcast, how we want to avoid nocebic narratives and we want to, um, we want to make sure there's self-efficacy in, in line. I was just curious, like coming out of school, like we're learning right now a lot of nocevic narratives and we just like, we roll our eyes. I'm just curious, were you ever in that position and what was that transition like?
2: Of course I was. I mean, I think I think everyone is, and I still am at times, I'm sure. No one's 100% aware. Um, I think I... Perhaps maybe it's just the way I am, but I would be sensitive to failure. And so I try to, you know, if there's something that might come out as something nocebic, then I'll usually say, don't stress around this thing. Mm. Even this point system challenge, like, okay, maybe you didn't get your workout in, but you got a lot of points yesterday. Like, let's chill about that. Let's not worry about it. So I think it's the idea of let's always give context around something that might come out Mm-hmm. um it, again it's all about the dialogue and so we cannot be perfect at it but as long as we take that edge or that pressure off a little bit i mm-hmm. think that helps open up and take that you know that stress away
1: so how do you help your clients actually achieve behavior change and lifestyle factors
2: without force
1: like okay <laughs> <laughs>
2: um at the end of the day I'm still a physical therapist so this this mission of mine is young and it's going to take time and so when it comes to physical therapy um I guess yeah I mean I don't know I think it's I lost my train of thought actually to be honest
1: that happens to me all the time so don't worry
2: does it yeah no um Yeah,
1: I I guess the
0: biggest thing here would be at least this is I think about this quite a bit. And it's just like, we know about all the benefits of exercise, it's no secret that we're going to live longer, feel better, have better mental health, right when we exercise, but people don't do it. And and I was trying to think of like common barriers, and it might be due to the fact that they don't know how, or maybe they they're afraid of their own self image, and or maybe they just don't have a place to go even though we can walk and we can do all these other things, but that's the things they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious, like, I mean, I'm assuming they're taking the first step when they reach out to you and they fill out the intake form and all that. But do you address any, or do you face any of these barriers when you talk to these people?
2: Yeah, totally. I, I think that like when I, when I work with these people, I'm trying part of my intake form is just to get a better picture of who they are so i will ask them about the quality of their sleep and their stress and all these things does not mean that i'm necessarily going to address it with them right away and Mm so um i I don't know how i lost my train of thought earlier but it kind of goes back to like how i let them lead Mm -hmm. is nothing with force all with guidance so I don't want to push something too aggressively Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's to my detriment. I think that sometimes people need a bit more, more direction than I might be willing to give them. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a, that's a skill that takes developing. And so, um, I will, I just want to get to know that person. And when those moments come, then I'll bring them up, but I will still just focus, focus the task at hand, which is their injury and just trying to educate them within there. And then if I can tap onto some other things, awesome. So Mm -hmm. like, don't get me wrong. Some of my clients, they're, they're literally just PT specific injury, acute or whatever Mm -hmm. specific clients.
0: Now that just sparked a question as you were speaking there is, you know, when we try to refrain from using a lot of like once again, nocebic narratives and like we can start using these anatomical like places in the body and people start freaking out like degeneration and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we we've talked about in the past where we can in person do orthos and that builds some of a trust. Like, oh, I know exactly what we're dealing with here. Um, I was just curious, like, is there like a spectrum where like, let's not get super specific cause we don't want to be nocebic, but also I don't want to come across like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then once again, we're not running orthos because we're across a screen. Does, are you afraid that you might be coming off of a, oh, I don't know what it is, but if we do exercise, we be feel better. Do you see what I'm saying?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I'm past that phase right now. I think there was a point where I was like, oh God, I don't want to be too generalizing here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think what I do is I try to be as educational as possible. I will say like, you know, there are, there are so so many components and I will name a bunch of components. Like, uh, you know this this could be neurogenic this could be muscular this could be multifactorial and it you know we're not necessarily sure but when it comes to tissue healing or whatever um and, and pain thresholds you know this is how we manage it so i i think it is also about saying this is the things that can be contributing but i'm not going to give you the 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 diagnosis of you know ddd because even like that's just not fair, and mm-hmm. you know we can't even say that for sure, especially right. what the evidence is showing.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also important to know that even doctors don't know everything, right. but that doesn't mean that clients will not get better. Because I mean, call me an list, but odds are, patient can have any diagnosis, and I mean, as long as it's not cancer or something, right. and if they do exercise and just wait natural history will do its thing. So even though we don't know what's the reason of your pain, odds are you're going to feel better eventually. So why not start exercising and get all of these benefits while your pain clears away? Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what I try to tell people too, is I'll give them the timeline of what an acute tissue injury might take and what a subacute injury might look like and the the risk for re-injury and all that stuff and say, look, there are options here. This is how I like to work with people. Like there's options here. If you just want to, uh, you know, let your body do its job, then call me in, you know, six weeks. But I recommend that why don't we kind of help support this system appropriately and dose you with exercises appropriately. um, And let's kind of minimize that risk of it being a longer term thing. And so I don't want to be that clinician that says you have to do this for this time because it's also that's that's for my ego. I I'm not here for that. Like I'm here for this person. I want to give them their options and I want to let them know that they're they're going to get better and you know a lot more evidence is showing that things are going to just evolve and get better, but I will probably make it a I will help you get there faster and with probably a higher probability that you will not have chronic pain. Yep.
0: Definitely. As for your process, you mentioned that you would give somebody a cue and then if they'd mastered it, you would just give on another cue until they perfect the movement. Are they doing this live for you during a meeting or are they sending you videos? How does that work?
2: Um, I guess when I was saying that it was probably more in the in-person, you know, training, coaching-ish approach. mm mm-hmm. To be honest with some of these people, like this this person that I had mentioned earlier that I have, was having some kind of global chronic pain, mm-hmm. I gave him something that I felt like he would be able to accomplish. For example, like a mountain climber, like slow paced mountain climber. Mm-hmm. I gave him some general... Principles that I wanted him to stick with, mm-hmm. and I let him take it from there because the idea is building capacity, right? We're right. trying to get them more active in an experience that's appropriately, you know, enjoyable for them or at least not nocebic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but if, if this was a post-op knee patient, that'd be a different parameter. So right. I would probably want to supervise a bit more in the beginning. It's it's super, as we said, dependent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Context dependent every single time.
2: <laughs> every time.
1: Do <laughs> you have anything else? I
0: think I think – I, the thing is, like, I always – I'm so, like, slow to pull the trigger because I always, like, I think I have all my questions answered. And then as <laughs> soon as I end it, I just – they flood into my brain. But this has been very insightful because like I said, prior to the podcast, we have a veteran that's been in the telehealth business for a while now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. Um, I highly recommend it for people because I think it opens up a few doors. I am working with somebody who's not in the San Francisco Bay area, Mm -hmm. but is in California. And it, you know, is providing them with a service that I don't, think they would have had otherwise in the really rural town that they live in and so it gives us the opportunity to help more people and then from a personal lifestyle perspective it takes my hands and my mind off of um you know these really short and dense like one-on-one sessions Mm -hmm. and allows me to kind of digest a bit more and provide a more robust plan for that person um and so, yeah, I, I highly recommend it for people. I wouldn't take away the face-to-face. I still practice manually sometimes for people, too. I think there's, there is some value in human touch. So um, I don't want to say that I'm pro one and not the other. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to anything new, it's hard for anybody. And so mine was a bit out of natural evolution. But for those that are, you know, considering it, I... I recommend it and using apps or google drive you know systems to communicate like starting within something that someone is comfortable with and evolving from there is the biggest recommendation um and you know video is not that much different it's just uh is a bit quicker in that like you know we're ready we're, we want to do these these orthopedic tests but like no let's slow down and just mm-hmm. talk with the person and then um let's try to be more efficient with
1: how we prescribe things for them so what would be your top advice or recommendation for someone that wants to start doing telehealth
2: um start simple and just do it so what i mean by that is like you don't need you don't absolutely need a coaching app in your your google drive stuff that just helps um but start with your session with somebody go slower than you might think you need to go because the session will go faster because you're not You're not moving around a table. You're not demonstrating anything. You're actually just having a conversation. So, um, you know, think about just talking a bit longer. And then um, if you're not positive what you want to do in that moment, then just, you know, say, I will email you at the end of this with some suggestions. Let's do a follow-up call. And that's that because it's going to be uncomfortable if you're not used to it. And you're probably going to forget something. And, you know, that's not a big (laughs) deal. be okay you know
0: that that actually that was a question i definitely wanted to ask so let's say you're just stumped by the situation you're like Mm -hmm. i do not know where to start with this Mm -hmm. with this client Mm -hmm. uh so you feel fine with just like oh yeah i'll just call you back after review everything when i come up with an idea is that how it works
2: i would say for the most part i know what's going on i think what i what happens is it's well for one i will do some movement screens. I'm just going to get off my chair. I'm going to move the chair out of the way. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, say, Hey, can you do this movement for me and let me know what you're feeling? So I'm still going to do some screens with them as I would in person. The only thing I'm not going to do is the hands-on testing. Um, So for the most part, I know what I'm going to do. I think it's, it's just when, when you get a little stumped in those potential awkward moments that you forget to ask something or forget to test something Mm -hmm. you're just gonna come back to them later i think it's the idea of like chill everything's gonna be okay you know what you're (laughs) talking about this is just a new medium and it's gonna make you feel a little weird doing it
0: oh yeah definitely (laughs) our our first podcast where we saw the, the person in front of us it was just like shell shock i didn't know what to do you know and it's like all the questions i planned on asking just went through like over my head i was like all right this is going to be the longest most awkward thing ever but like but like you said when it com- comes to conversation you know it goes so quick you know you think you're there you, you think you're there like you get what i'm saying It just yeah. shell shocked <laughs>
2: totally and i think that's very normal and it's 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 okay. We're all, we're getting used to something new. And and once you get used to it and pass that shell shock and you just remember you're having conversation with another human, like things are fine. And, and you've been doing, you've been practicing, you're going to, you know what you need to ask them and anything you forget. Like they're not, they're most likely not like a highly red flag, like a cute person right. that like, you have to call them back that very second. <laughs> exactly.
0: Air. I lost a hundred pounds overnight, you know, like, yeah. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: we got some things to unpack here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where can everyone find you?
2: Um, So if you want to find me, I'm mostly, in terms of social media, on Instagram as MeganMarie underscore, I think that's the under dash, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Or my website is MeganMariePT.com.
1: Awesome. I'm going to hyperlink that to the show notes so people can find you easier.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram. I just started getting in that social bandwagon. It's been <laughs> tough, but here we are at COVID, so. <laughs>